welcome to episode 20 of the Jedi Temple Archives podcast. There is more knowledge here than anywhere else in the galaxy. Only members of the Jedi Council are allowed access. Guarding the holocrons is one of the most important duties a Jedi can be given. Do you think you're up to the task? Rob's normal transmission to wish my wonderful husband a very happy birthday. I love you, babe. So without further ado, on with the show. Hey, Star Wars fans. Uh, big thank you to my wife, Kim, for doing the intro this week. Uh, she kind of wanted to do that as a little something special for me and the podcast. So uh, certainly a huge thanks to her. Now, for this week's show, I do need to give a special shout out to Miguel at Sculter Designs. Uh, he goes by the name Sculter, and I actually had found his shop on Etsy. He does some really cool Star Wars-inspired watch bands. Uh, the one that caught my attention was a Boba Fett-inspired watch band for Apple Watches, and I uh, had commissioned him to create one of those, and he actually just delivered that. Um, he actually has a video of it as well on his new channel out on YouTube uh, called Sculter the Intergalactic Junker, where he shows how he made the watch band in the first place. Uh, so definitely check him out. I'm going to put some links up on social media, some photos of the of the product that he delivered to me. But it is very cool. It is very weathered, very much uh, in the vein of uh, Boba Fett's Mandalorian armor, and it's going to be a great Star Wars piece that I'm gonna I'm gonna really uh, love for quite some time. So uh, looking forward to wearing that out. And uh, Miguel, thank you so much for for doing this for me. Hopefully uh, you get the recognition you deserve. And uh, we look forward to hopefully talking with you sometime uh, to find out a little bit more about your projects and uh, kind of what got you into the the uh, Star Wars line of work. So uh, thank you again. And we're going to go ahead and jump right into our main topic for this week, which is something that we've alluded to in previous episodes, uh, but we're finally going to get to in more detail, and that is uh, the Inquisitors that you see within Star Wars Rebels and uh, on occasion within the Star Wars, or I mean, within the uh, Disney parks, as well as uh, the Purge Troopers that, uh, that accompany them. So we'll get into a little bit of detail on what each of those are, uh, kind of break down the Inquisitors that we know about, give you some context for what you may be seeing in the future. Uh, it's unknown whether we're going to get any more uh, specific Inquisitor content because most of that was in Star Wars Rebels and that wrapped up at the end of Season 4. Uh, but uh, to talk about this with me this week, I have my uh, trusty co-host, Tom, who uh, is always here to kind of keep me on the straight and narrow and make sure I don't miss any of the important points. So, Tom, thanks for joining us on the podcast again. Always a pleasure to be in the Jedi Temple Archives podcast, Rob. Terrific. Um, and we just actually had gotten done yesterday uh, recording another episode of Star Wars Remembered for the Hyperion Adventures podcast. We covered Rogue One. Uh, so I would definitely recommend that you go out and check that out. That dropped last evening, and uh, we always have a great time talking about Star Wars films. Yeah, it's like we like those films or something, because we can sit there and talk. I mean, I, we, I almost have to cut it off after like an hour and five, hour, ten minutes, because we can sit there and talk <laughs> for two, three hours, especially about a film like Rogue One that I know you love so much, and my wife, Michelle, who's also my co-host on my podcast, loves so much. And I enjoy that one, too, but uh, we could have talked about that film for a long time. Yeah, so, I mean, certainly if you're interested in, in star wars and especially rogue one go check out that episode we uh we probably talked about it for an hour um i could have gone on for an hour just about the music personally uh, but had to restrain myself a little bit but there's some really good information in that podcast for anyone who enjoyed rogue one uh, to actually help you enjoy that a little bit more and if you haven't seen it uh certainly we would recommend going out and checking that out um I know it kind of got some negative uh, fan reactions, people saying that it was just total fan service and basically didn't have a lot of point to it. But again, it just seems like if the movies don't deliver what the fans want, the fans complain that that's not what they wanted. And when it does, then, you know, it kind of gets hit the other way. So 
I've got to believe most of the fans don't go to either of those extremes and pretty much just uh, are willing to enjoy the Star Wars content on its own. Yeah, and here's another thing, and we didn't really touch on this so much in yesterday's show on our podcast talking about Rogue One, but, uh, you know, I'm all for more Star Wars stories. There are tales to be told throughout this universe, and many that don't involve Jedi at all. I'm really enjoying many more of these stories coming around now that don't necessarily... I mean, yes, they are alluded to. They make small appearances here and there, but it's not so focused around Jedi. Rogue One was one. Solo, a Star Wars story, is another. Uh, the animated series, Star Wars Resistance right now, is another. Um, I There's so much more to discover within the Star Wars universe that doesn't have to be focused completely around the Jedi and the Sith. Yeah, and I think that movie was a perfect, uh, perfect example of that. I mean, the Jedi are alluded to. Um, they're certainly kind of wrapped up in the core of the story, but but you don't have to have a blazing lightsaber to uh, to get people's attention with Star Wars. There's a lot of great ways to explore that content. Um, you know, even you know in the expanded universe back before it went into Legends, there were all kinds of series uh, that had to do with you know, Han Solo, Lando Calrissian, um, other adventures that weren't Jedi centric, uh, and those were very popular as well. So I think that that is certainly something. And and it sounds like with the Cassian Andor series coming to Disney Plus, um, that that's going to be another one of those series that is not Jedi centric, but it's going to still be very interesting. Kind of uh, more that spy uh, saboteur kind of. Uh, uh, action and the Mandalorian as well. I, I don't know how any Jedi will play a part in that, but it definitely doesn't appear to be uh, Jedi, uh, like you said, Jedi centric. Exactly, exactly. So uh, with that, we will go ahead and jump into uh, the Inquisitors and the organization that they were part of, which was referred to as the Inquisitorius. Uh, and this was actually introduced into Star Wars canon via the the series Star Wars Rebels. So. I know Tom and I have both said this uh, numerous times on other podcasts, uh, but if you have not had a chance to go out and check out Star Wars Rebels, it is well worth your time, and there's a lot of great content within that um, that will make you look even at the at the films that you're familiar with, uh, kind of with a little bit of a different mindset. Uh, so definitely go check that out. And in regards to the Inquisitorius, uh, as we said, we have alluded to this on previous podcasts, but this is where we're really going to get into the details. So. This is an organization that was assembled by Darth Sidious. Uh, a lot of people think that it was formed after Order 66 had been issued, but the reality of it was this was actually formed when he was still Senator Palpatine uh, and before the rise of the Galactic Empire. So it was essentially an organization that he put together because he knew that not all Jedi were likely to be killed in Order 66, but he also kind of was crafting it as a gift to Darth Vader uh, as something that was going to be handed off to him to take care of and, and uh, utilize in his hunt for the Jedi that did escape Order 66. So, uh, Tom, I don't know if you'd ever heard heard that that had been founded prior to the rise of the Galactic Empire. I didn't know up until I was doing some reading just recently. And, uh, you know, I know that uh, uh, Palpatine in particular was uh, kind of aware of the Jedi Order and keeping an eye on them and looking for some Jedi that tended to be a little more on the aggressive side, a little more on the selfish side, a little more on the dark side. They kind of had some leanings that way, figuring that he could turn them if need be to kind of be a, a portion of this group that they, you know he knew he would need uh, to help. Uh, he knew Order 66 wasn't going to wipe out all the Jedi. It was going to take out a majority of them, and, but there were going to be others to hunt down, and there were also going to be younglings of course that showed some sort of promise within some force sensitivity uh that he was going to have to uh, deal with as well yeah it actually kind of makes me think about uh the clone wars themselves in a little bit different light because not only i mean i think it's been explored that the clone wars was really a means to get the jedi away from the passive you know contemplative mindset where they were really more centered in the light side of the force um, and, you know, get them involved in uh, in war, get them involved in, uh, you know, commanding these clone troops and, and essentially uh, kind of weaken the light side of the force for them and dull their ability to foresee the things that were coming. But it also kind of created a scenario where, as you said, I mean, it was going to put Jedi who were prone to going to the dark side in positions where in the heat of battle, uh, or in order to save their troops or themselves or their Padawans, uh, they may take that step across the line and then, you know, his plan 
with those Jedi was to essentially conscript them into this uh, group of dark side users that he was going to be able to control and, and to help kind of secure his reign once he had risen to the, the uh, position of emperor. Absolutely. I mean, and it's one thing we've discussed this many times about uh, the Clone Wars and how uh, Palpatine worked it on, on so many angles, so many different ways, always adjusting when need be. But, you know, it, it was his way of one building this grand army of the Republic, something that he could use to take control of the galaxy as well as to back him up and make sure he was secure in his place. And yes, of course. And then there was this un other underlying thing with the Jedi, of course, trying to busy their minds so they couldn't focus on what was going on kind of behind the scenes. But you're, you're right. This is something new that I, I, I said, I just, I discovered in my readings that uh, he was looking for some of these uh, Jedi that would kind of, sway a little bit more to the dark side I'll, you know still saying to the light side of point but feeling like he could take advantage of that and you know it bears noting that what we're talking about here is literally jedi who would fall to the dark side they were not sith palpatine was very much a believer in the rule of two and that there would never be any more than one master and one apprentice so you know certainly he was willing to go through multiple apprentices based on what suited him at a given point in time but the intent was never to make any of these inquisitors or any member of this inquisitorious uh an actual full-blooded sith that was that was pretty much being reserved for darth vader for anakin skywalker yeah they were they were trained uh in many ways uh using the dark side of the force as a matter of fact vader trained them himself but it was always trying to cut that training off make it to literally actually uh, uh trying to make that only to a certain point and not really completely fully sith trained like he, they did with of course maul and and vader himself exactly so uh the inquisitors were commonly referred to by members of the imperial military as either red blades or mystics and as i mentioned before the inquisitors ultimately were going to be a gift for darth vader um, from the emperor which he was then going to be able to train them uh, with the skills that they needed to hunt down attract down and uh, eliminate any remaining jedi as well as kind of their secondary mandate was to keep an eye out for any young force sensitive children that could then again be brought into this inquisitor program uh, and raised in you know to follow the dark side and to be able to serve the emperor in that in that way yeah, and that's that was exactly what they were brought around to do. And uh, I was interesting in reading up a, a more on this and their studies uh, under Vader uh, many times that he saw them as being, since they were Jedi in the past, they would base their attacks on defense more, you know, which was more the Jedi way. And he wanted them to be very, very aggressive. And so he, he taught them to use their aggression at, at, at their at the top at the peak of their attacks and it kind of for one way helped them to be more like this but it also faulted them in many ways which i'm sure we'll get into as we discuss more about them yeah certainly and i think you know it, certainly for anyone who's seen star wars rebels you can really see that in their fighting style that it is really about pressing the attack it's about aggression um they tend to leave themselves open to attacks uh, but generally their their mindset was between the inquisitors themselves and then the purge troopers if they were accompanied by them it was just an all-out blitz attack on these jedi um, or padawans or force sensitives of, of any um really level uh but not aligned with the dark side they would you know basically overwhelm them through sheer force and uh, the problem came when they would go up against a jedi for instance ahsoka or even kanan jarrus uh who was a jedi padawan that had survived the purge and, and later aligned himself with the the specters uh, in star wars rebels that when they would come up against someone who was trained well enough to be able to to uh, defend against their offensive attack and to uh, take advantage of the openings that they left, then they could they could be defeated. Right, and the assumption was that mo many of the times they would be needing more of an aggressive attack. They'd be hunting down either Jedi that are afraid almost or running or trying to hide, and maybe they're not as focused as they should be, or they're trying to attract down children that aren't going to be a, a force anyway they're going to be you know defenseless basically and anybody who's trying to defend them will probably not be as uh well uh, versed in the force 
Agreed. And the other interesting thing about the training for the Inquisitors was that, uh, as I mentioned before, Vader was responsible for training most of these Inquisitor Inquisitors, which was actually kind of interesting, um, given the fact that they had fallen to the dark side prior to Anakin really falling to the dark side. Uh, but his skill in the Force, and obviously he was um, a very skilled Jedi at the height of his powers, um, he still had a lot to train them, uh, a lot of things to teach them in the process of that training. But one of the things that Vader would do to many of these Inquisitors is that he would amputate body parts from them. Uh, to His saying was that it would remind them of what it meant to lose. Um, but certainly it was a lesson that he himself was very familiar with, having lost essentially all of his limbs at one point or another um, within the course of, of his life. And so uh, that was kind of him... Uh, teaching lessons that he had learned the hard way uh, to these inquisitors and and basically kind of reshaping them and kind of in his own his own mold right and essentially like i said he was the one who tried to train them to be he saw them as much more defensive mode when they were attacking and he wanted to train them a different way and showing them how these aggressive styles can work in their favor, you know, is, was what he aimed for. And again, he also wanted to make sure that their training because Palpatine wanted to make sure that their training was never going to get them to the level of uh, a Sith essentially. Correct. Yeah, totally agree. Um, so when it comes down to the members of the Inquisitorius, uh, the first member that you want to talk about is the grand inquisitor. are all but destroyed, and yet your task is not complete, Inquisitor. The Emperor has foreseen a new threat rising against him, the children of the Force. They must not become Jedi. Yes, Lord Vader. Hunt down this new enemy, and if they will not serve the Empire, eliminate them along with any surviving Jedi who would train them. This is my master's command. And so it will be done. The Grand Inquisitor was both the leader of the Inquisitors, as well as having been a former Jedi Temple guard. And uh, for those of you who are familiar with any of the events of the Clone Wars, um, late in the Clone Wars, there was a story arc where there was a, uh, you know, a bombing that occurred at the Jedi Temple, and uh, Jedi and, and some of the clone troopers were killed as a byproduct of that, and it ended up getting pinned on Ahsoka Tano. We discussed this a little bit in our Ahsoka episode. But the Jedi, the Padawan um, that was responsible for that was a young lady named Barris Ophi. And she was eventually exposed as the saboteur who was was guilty of this crime. Um, and one of the Jedi Temple guards that was present at her trial uh, was, in fact, this grand, the, the Temple guard who later became the Grand Inquisitor. So he was in agreement, uh, like-minded with Barisofi in the sense that she felt that the Jedi had lost their way, uh, which as it turned out, was actually true. Unfortunately, the way that she went about kind of exposing that um, through this sabotage at the Jedi Temple uh, certainly wasn't in keeping with the Jedi mindset either. Um, but the other thing that the Grand Inquisitor had an issue with with the with the Jedi Order and the High Council was that there were forbidden teachings that were maintained within the Jedi Temple, uh, and he wanted to have access to that. He wanted to kind of explore those deeper mysteries of the Force um, that touched on the dark side and because the Jedi forbade that um, when the time came that Order 66 uh, had been implemented he had already turned to the dark side um, been turned by Emperor Palpatine and uh, tasked with basically leading up this Inquisitor program yeah and basically that's what he was he was the head and that's why he's the Grand Inquisitor he was the head Inquisitor we're, I'm sure we're going to go through uh, basically their pyramid of or uh, their formation of how they kind of went in order of these different inquisitors but uh, yeah he was one of the first ones tabbed he was the most skilled one tabbed and that's why he became the grand inquisitor yep he certainly was open to uh, to fall into the dark side and palpatine being the master manipulator that he was uh, would have had no trouble turning someone uh, like the grand inquisitor despite his his alliance with the jedi there were certainly issues that he had with them and, and that got leveraged uh, into his fall so he actually actually ended up serving uh, the Inquisitorius for about 15 years um, and was not only responsible for uh, leading the, the Inquisitor's order, but also was the primary person responsible for finding and procuring any Force-sensitive children. 
Um, in addition, and it kind of something that touches very close to the, the title of this podcast, um, I know that in our initial episode, we talked about Joe Castanew, who was the head librarian of the Jedi Temple Archive, and the Grand Inquisitor, along with Darth Vader, um, were the ones that were responsible for the capture and the death of Joe Castanew. So, again, he, he certainly had uh, his own gripe with Joe Castanew um, being the head of the Jedi Temple Archives and the fact that she would have been the one uh, forbidding him access to that deeper knowledge the, of the Force or those teachings that he wanted access to. So um, it is kind of fitting that he would have been involved in her fall as well. Right. And we've talked about it many times at how one of the faults with the Jedi Council and with the Jedi Order itself was how rigid it was. and. It wasn't. It was afraid to be in touch with anything with passion, anything with anger, anything with you know. It, it, they just tried to avoid anything dark side that leanings at all, and they're so with so rigid about it that it was bound to turn a couple people who felt like they could uh, use that to their advantage while not completely falling to the dark side, maybe to start dabbling in that more, and then eventually, yes, lead them into the dark side. If if the Jedi Order had looked within itself, had decided that we can do this, but when you can do it more in a controlled environment, then maybe things might have been a little different moving forward. Yeah, and actually the Grand Inquisitor had a number of confrontations Again, with the Spectres from Star Wars Rebels, um, a number of, of battles against Kanan Jarrus in particular. I am the Inquisitor. Welcome. There will be no reinforcements. Interesting. It seems you trained with Jedi Master Depa Bilal. How? Who are you? Temple records are quite complete. Close quarter fighting. Bilaba's emphasis was always on Form 3, which you favor to a ridiculous degree. Clearly, you were a poor student. Is that really all you've got, my boy? As well as Ezra Bridger. Are you paying attention, boy? The Jedi are dead. But there is another path. The dark side. Never heard of it. Your meager training is nothing in the face of true power. You're not going near it. I believe I am. In fact, it's time to end both Jedi and Padawan for good. Your devotion to your master is admirable. It will not save you. Nothing. And uh, ultimately, he ends up dying at the hands of Kanan Jarrus uh, in one of those episodes. So uh, he he was not someone who is still alive at, at the end of Star Wars Rebels. Um, there are going to be some of these Inquisitors that we talk about that, that did survive the events of Star Wars Rebels. Uh, and then there's kind of some interesting questions about, you know, so they they survive all the way up to the end of Rebels, which ties in pretty closely with the events of A New Hope. Uh, by the time you get to the end of it there. So the question uh, exists, you know, what happened to these remaining Inquisitors um, after the events of the original trilogy even? Because uh, it's certainly possible that some of them were still floating around out there at that time. Or Palpatine decided, I don't need these anymore. My focus is in a different way. Do I go ahead? Or they're, you know, starting to get too powerful. Who knows? But he, you know, did he decide to do away with them, uh, send Vader after them, whatever the case may be. But yeah, once Rebels wraps up, we don't see much of them in, or even or any at all. Uh, as we get into the, uh, you know, A New Hope and so forth. I'm waiting to see if we end up getting another fan service film that exposes the fact that they were all kind of at the Inquisitor rec room on the Death Star when that when that blew up. So. <laughs> they're, all, they're all getting planned. You know, they had, the Emperor has this great plan for us. I'm so excited. We're finally going to be put to use again. Uh-oh. And check out our Kush new facilities. So the next Inquisitor uh, that we talk about here, and it's interesting because it goes straight to the second sister. Um, each of the Inquisitors is named uh, both by their position within the order as well as, you know, the females are called sister, the males are called brother. Um, there is no first brother, first sister. Uh, so in some in some schools, people think that the Grand Inquisitor would typically be the first Inquisitor. Um, and I've got nothing to, uh, you know, to debunk that line of thought. So 
Uh, we'll go right on to the second sister. She is a female of an unknown species. Her Actually, her helmet um, has a visor that covers her face. Uh, and she is best known for having been given the mission to hunt down and kill a Jedi Padawan by the name of Cal Kestis, uh, who is actually going to be the main protagonist in the upcoming Jedi Fallen Order video game that's coming out this November. Uh, so I'm really hoping that we're going to get to learn a lot more about that particular Inquisitor this year. I would imagine that's got to be the case, that we're going to find out a lot more canon-type story out of uh, Jedi Fallen Order for sure. And I'm, I'm really excited about that game, and that's, that's just one more added component that makes me excited about it. Yeah, certainly. And I mean, that is the great thing about Star Wars as well, is that the canon is not just built through the films. Um, they've got the comic books. There's a number of books that have come out. There's uh, the animated series and even some of these video games. So. Uh, it, there's a lot of different ways to kind of experience this Star Wars, um, you know, the Star Wars content that's out there and a lot of things that play into what becomes canon. Exactly. And I'm, I'm excited to check it all out. I still need to get caught up on the comics. I was realizing as I was going through readings on some of these Inquisitors that there's a lot of it actually that's involved in like the Darth Vader comics that were re recently released. Um, I really need to catch up on those myself. Yep, I totally agree. Um, and so the next uh, Inquisitor that we come to, we jump the, the third Inquisitor and the fourth Inquisitor. No one knows much about them. Um, and we go straight to the fifth brother. Inquisitor, I thought Lord Vader was coming aboard. I wasn't aware that you... Lord Vader has sent me in his place. Well, this unnecessary diversion may have compromised the success of Agent Callus's mission. We must return. I care not for your struggles. I will succeed where you and Callus have failed. The fifth brother was actually a gray-skinned humanoid male, um, and he is best known for having been killed by Maul on Malachor, uh, as seen in the events of Star Wars Rebels Season 2, uh, and I believe that episode was called Twilight of the Apprentice. Um, and he was often seen kind of working hand-in-hand -hand with uh, Seventh Sister, who is also, we'll get into her in just a moment, but she may be familiar to a lot of our listeners um, as she is part of the Jedi Training Trials of the Temple. Uh, at the Disney parks and she's one of the villains uh, that your children may actually come up against as they're going through and facing the dark visions that come out of that temple. Right. I know many people have like, you know, who haven't watched Star Wars Rebels when they would see that they would have like, who is this? I have no idea who this character is. Know nothing about them. And hopefully it, it drove them to either watch the series or do a little more studying on it. But um, yeah, she was a, another great character. Uh, and, you know, it's interesting, you know, that when you're talking about all these different inquisitors that uh, they were, there really weren't any humans involved in this. They were mostly some sort sort of uh, unknown species or a different species uh, and you know interesting that uh, that is the way Palpatine went towards to try and bring in these different uh, you know especially because the Empire was so much humanoid based and this was these were just quite not that yeah I mean Palpatine was definitely uh, a xenophobe or uh, certainly had kind of anti-alien uh, policies in terms of who could progress within his galactic empire so it's I agree it's very interesting that that, you know, his Inquisitorious is made up of almost exclusively uh, alien species. There's a, there's certainly a few that we can't say either way uh, due to the fact that their faces are obscured. Um, I know there's a school of thought out there that Barris Ophi herself um, may have actually become one of his Inquisitors, although no one can say for sure. Um, but again, I think there's going to be a lot of information coming out and we shall see. Yeah, I'm excited for it all. Yeah. All right. So the next uh, Inquisitor that's up is the sixth brother. And he formerly went by the name of Bill Valen. And he was a, a male uh, member of the Inquisitorius. So uh, the other members are known to have jokingly referred to him uh, having smelled like fish. So, you know, while no one knows specifically what his species is, uh, and even Ahsoka within in, uh, the book Ahsoka, as she's facing off against him, can't identify his species. He's kind of a gray-skinned alien species of some sort. Uh, but he is actually one of the Inquisitors. Uh, when we talk about Darth Vader having severed limbs from some of the Inquisitors, he was one of the victims of that. He lost his, I believe, left forearm uh, as part of 
of his training, and ultimately he was the Inquisitor that Ahsoka Tano killed on the Moon of Rada. So if you have heard our second half of our Ahsoka Tano series uh, that we put out just a few weeks ago, we refer to uh, the Sixth Brother as part of that. Yeah, and that's a, and she. That's how she got her brand new lightsabers is uh, by taking the uh, defeating him, uh, taking the crystals that were in his lightsaber, and uh, basically uh, cre- finally being able to create his own light or her own lightsaber. And as we discussed, if you want to go back a couple episodes ago, the Jedi Temple Archives podcast, it was discussed uh, really in depth and really well by both you and Brandon. Yeah, it was all three of us, as far as I was concerned. We had a lot of uh, a lot of fun discussion about that particular scene within uh, the book Ahsoka. Yeah, um, it was a really interesting and intriguing scene, and it, it's a it's a book that you really should go out and read. It's an easy read. Uh, I, we discussed it many times on that uh, on that episode. But it, it, if you like Ahsoka Tano at all, if you like her from the Clone Wars, if you like her from Rebels, uh, that's a book you will probably enjoy. Yep, I completely agree. Um, this then brings us to the Seven Sister that we just spoke about a few minutes ago. Michelle and I play the seventh sister on Star Wars Rebels. I am an Inquisitor. I may be number seven, but I'm pretty much number one. My character believes that Ahsoka is back, and she is trying to track down Ahsoka, as well as the Rebels, and just kill them all. You and I are gonna have a talk. She definitely plays cat and mouse with Kanan. All Inquisitors want to mess with the Jedi. You know, that's why we're put on this Earth. Galaxy, I should say. You crawled out of hiding at last. Yeah, I'm a Star Wars fan. I think it hits you on an emotional level. It's good versus evil and love and triumph and equality. And that's not gender specific. I'm now part of like the lore and legend of Star Wars. That's what people dream of. The same way that I still talk about the original movies that I'm now part of the story of Star Wars. It's really special. She was a female uh, Marielin Inquisitor, and she was tasked by Darth Vader specifically to track down and eliminate Ahsoka Tano. So, uh, again, the seventh sister and the fifth brother you see uh, working together quite a bit within Star Wars Rebels. Um, Interestingly enough, after the death of the Grand Inquisitor, she was the one who really sought to replace him as the leader of the Inquisitorius. And and then, as I mentioned, she had a number of encounters with the Spectres. Um, she and the fifth brother had uh, a very cool battle between themselves and Ahsoka uh, within one of the episodes in Star Wars Rebels. And Ahsoka managed to defeat her uh, after having deactivated her lightsaber. Uh, she was able to still fight against the seventh sister and basically defeat her uh, and allow the Rebels to escape. Uh, but she was ultimately killed on Malachor, uh, just as the fifth brother was by Maul. Right. And again, another uh, where you've seen, even though Maul, yes, was a it was, was a Sith, uh, still well-trained in the ways of the Force, has probably become a little bit more in touch with the Force since he's kind of been out on his own many times and had more time to meditate on it. And uh, he was also able to really be in touch with it and controlled and, again, defeat these uh, these Inquisitors. Yeah, and... Certainly, he had that Sith training that um, all these Inquisitors would have lacked, so he had a combat advantage over most of them anyway. Uh, Plus, he had the additional advantage of, you know, he had been betrayed by Palpatine, um, basically passed over. He had his brother um, killed by Palpatine, and in fact, the entire uh, Knight Brothers and Knight Sisters clan on Dathomir uh, had been wiped out by the Sith. Yeah, and the Separatist army. So he had a lot of anger. He wanted revenge against the Sith. He was kind of um, an interesting character within Star Wars Rebels, primarily because of the fact that he was really no longer aligned with the Sith. Uh, he was known in Rebels to work with the Jedi, um, but he was really out there to do anything that would cause you know pain for Palpatine uh, as, as his means of getting revenge. And interesting within that episode where he does uh, kill the uh, fifth brother and the seventh sister is that... Uh, he at one point tried to get Ezra Bridger uh, to 
after you know they'd basically disabled one of them to finish uh, that one off. And Ezra eventually, after thinking about, it, refused. You know, obviously, Maul trying to turn him to the dark side to kind of be his apprentice and move forward in in the goal that he had set forth. Agreed. Yep. And so um, that then moves us on to the eighth brother. Now, there's very little known about the eighth brother other than the fact that he is uh, a race called the Torellian Django Jumper. Um, and they're basically tall, thin humanoids that are incredibly acrobatic. Uh, so he was a male of that species. But beyond that, there's really nothing known about the eighth brother. Uh, the ninth sister is a female Dewooten. And she was formerly known by the name of Masana Tide. Um, she actually had her leg amputated by the sixth brother uh, as part of a mission that they were on. So that kind of um, goes back to the fact that while all of these members in the Inquisitorius were all working with the same kind of goal in mind to hunt down and eliminate Jedi, uh, they were very much competing against each other for advancement as well. So, uh, you know, they, they would work together in a lot of cases, but they were not above betraying one another uh, if they thought it was to their advantage. And that just goes to their leanings to the dark side. That's probably where it's going to be. And as they progress throughout the years, originally they would work together much more often in groups of three you know, or more sometimes. Uh, but as it progressed and you saw that they were hungry to move up the ladder, essentially, uh, they became more competitive and it was more difficult to get them to work together. And, the, you know, they, obviously they still did near the end, but it, it wasn't as easy to get them to work that way. Yeah. Um, the final uh, Inquisitor that we actually know in regards to their position within the Inquisitorius is the 10th brother. Um, he was actually a former Jedi Master who went by the name of Proset Dibs, uh, who was a blind male Miraluka. And during the Clone Wars, uh, he had been sent off on a mission uh, by the Jedi High Council. And as part of that mission, he really started to struggle with the conflict between the fact that, you know, on one side, Jedi are supposed to be peacekeepers, but they're also being forced to serve as generals in the Grand Army of the Republic. And that caused a lot of conflict within him. Um, he actually later attempted to assassinate Mace Windu uh, and failed in that attempt. And instead of being given a death penalty, uh, Windu essentially spared him and turned him over for rehabilitation. Um, but, of course, when Order 66 got initiated, Prosit Dibs was one of the Jedi who survived that, and he was turned to the dark side um, based on the fact that, you know, he, he had a lot of conflict within him and certainly some harsh feelings for the Jedi as a result of his battle against Mace Windu. And he's got a really interesting kind of... Um, and to his story, he was deployed on a mission to Mon Calamari uh, to hunt a Jedi Padawan named Farron Barr. And this is going to tie in really closely with the, the conversation we're going to have about the purge troopers in just a few moments. But uh, he was actually killed by those purge troopers on that mission. And it was one of the ones was really the only member of the Inquisitors who was actually killed by those group of purge troopers who were supposed to be their allies. Yeah, uh, and uh, I'm sure we we're going to discuss this in a little bit, but part of that whole sit was was actually the Jedi there that they were trying to hunt down, figuring out that these were not, you know, the clone troopers that had been uh, around during the uh, the Jedi purge originally, and so they kind of used that to their advantage to to make this work for them to defeat this Inquisitor. Yeah, and I think you're picking up on exactly where I'm at there. I don't want to. I don't want to give too much away about the clone or the purge troopers before we get into that, um, which is actually going to be in just a moment here. But yeah, there is a, a, a neat little catch that is taken advantage of, and, and we'll get into that in just a moment. So. Um, beyond the Inquisitors that we just talked about, there were actually three other Inquisitors that were mentioned at various times. Um, I think many of these were within uh, that Vader comic book series. And, and like Tom, I have not had a chance to read those yet. Um, but they have not been identified given a, a particular position within the Inquisitorius. They're just referred to as unknown Inquisitors. There was uh, one that was part of a mission, and it was not specified what her his or her position was. 
Uh, there was a second that actually had gone on a mission to Dathomir and found a Night Sister who she or who this Inquisitor decided to train basically as an ally in a plot against the other Inquisitors. And, of course, her disciple, or his or her disciple, in true Dark Jedi fashion, uh, basically once they felt they had learned everything there was to learn, they turned on this Inquisitor and killed them. And the final was an unknown Twi'lek Inquisitor. Again, just someone that got mentioned as a byproduct of one of the missions that had been uh, undertaken as part of those comics, but no additional information given on that Twi'lek Inquisitor as well. So... It's unknown whether these are Inquisitors that kind of fill in some of those missing gaps and whether there's only 12 Inquisitors as a result or whether there were actually more than 12 Inquisitors and and these Inquisitors um, fall under some other designation. So I guess we will wait and see if anything gets revealed in canon for those uh, characters. Right. As we discussed already, we don't know who the third and fourth sister or brother were. Um, Like you said, it was believed to be, you know, at least 12 of them were there more uh was there an 11th or a 12th brother or sister we don't know exactly or did they just not have a an actual name put to them at this point it will be interesting and i hope it gets uh, shaken out at some point right yeah it's kind of one of those uh, go back and fill in some of the gaps for us so we can kind of feel like we've uh figured that entire thing out and we're we're ready to move on to some additional knowledge uh, so, yeah, the next thing really to go to from there is the purge troopers themselves. So, <clears throat> again, these were uh, when Palpatine was putting together his Inquisitorious program. He also knew that they were going to need some support troops uh, to assist in in finding and either killing or capturing uh, any missing Jedi. And so what he had done was, as part of the last uh, run of clones that was done, he had uh, an advanced version of those clones made. And those became essentially these purge troopers. They were all hairless and had a red tattoo on the right side of their face that ran from their forehead kind of down to their right jawline. And they wore black armor and helmets with various red or silver designs on them. Uh, They wore camas, which are basically belt capes, um, so a cape that extends from the belt down. And then they would have an imperial crest on both their shoulders, and they fought with uh, DC-15 blaster rifles or electrostaffs in battle. Uh, These are going to play very heavily into that Jedi Fallen Order video game that we talked about earlier. And these are really basically just expendable death squads um, whose sole purpose was to hunt down and exterminate any remaining Jedi. Right. uh, Basically, uh, to assistance to the Inquisitors, but also to be sent out on their own when they couldn't get an Inquisitor out there to uh, hunt some of these down. But that's basically what they were made to do. They were, you know, and at the cost of them. I mean, they're they're clones. And, uh, Palpatine didn't have any need for them to stick around or to be concerned with their health. Uh, so he was willing to send these down, knowing that many of them may not survive, but also that they are really, really skilled and uh, have the ability to take on many of these Jedi. Yeah. The other thing of note, it kind of plays into what Tom's talking about. They were expendable. So over time, as these clones were killed, they would be replaced by non-clone replacements. And so this program was something that was kept active by Palpatine for some time uh, following the fall of the Jedi Order. Uh, And to go to the point of what Tom was referring to earlier, uh, which is... Uh, the death of that tenth brother that we were, that we had just mentioned, um, when the tenth brother and the purge troopers and a couple of the other uh, inquisitors had been deployed to Moncala to hunt down that Jedi Jedi Padawan Farron Bar, what happened was that uh, Farron Bar, being very smart and understanding that these were in fact clones. Um, decided to take advantage of the fact that they had not had Order 66 triggered in them yet because uh, these purge troopers were uh, essentially grown after Order 66 had been implemented. And so he was able to trigger Order 66 within these particular uh, purge troopers. And because the uh, 10th brother was a fallen Jedi, they identified him as a Jedi and attacked him. And he was actually basically gunned down by his own troops. Now, I know Jedi don't really ha- aren't supposed to be, you know, so upfront with their feelings, but it had to feel a little good to be able to turn Order 66 around at one point and have it take out an exactly. enemy. 
Exactly. Again, the emperor uh, was incredibly intelligent, but not not immune to uh, kind of having his own intelligence turned against him or his his own plan turned against him. Um, and really, the only other item of note with the purge troopers was, in addition to their key mandate, which was to hunt down Jedi, um, there were also scenarios where they were deployed to um, sensitive imperial installations, and one of those would have been on the planet of Kashyyyk. Um, I think that is just primarily because that ties in with that uh, Star Wars Fallen Jedi video game. So in terms of, uh, you know, if there's any additional uses for those Purge Troopers, I'm sure we'll know more once we get to November. Uh, But for now, that is pretty much all we know about the Purge Troopers. I'm looking forward to finding out much more about them and much more about some of these Inquisitors that we haven't really delved into at this point, at least not uh, in canon. They haven't really told a lot of their stories, but I'm sure there's much more to come. Yeah, and as we said, you know, if you want to know more about the Purge Troopers, go check out Star Wars Rebels. Most of the content is there. Um, There's certainly information about the Inquisitors within some of the um, Star Wars comic books, the Darth Vader series in particular, as Tom mentioned. Um, But, you know, there's a lot uh, there's a lot of really good storytelling out there. Um, While there's not a ton of specific information about many of these Inquisitors, it is just kind of an interesting aspect to uh, Palpatine. It goes to show how much he feared the Jedi and he really wanted to make sure that they were wiped out and could not cause uh, any issues for his galactic empire. So um, it was always something that was clearly on his mind to make sure that, you know, he would have people out there hunting them down and kind of keeping them on the run so they could not interrupt uh, what he was about. Absolutely. He also wanted to be sure that, uh, you know, his apprentice or any others would not be able to get deeply enough, get trained enough that they could be really a threat to him as well. I know, you know, he kind of had Vader under his thumb uh, pretty much for the most part, but he wanted to be sure that there was not anybody else that kind of got that training, wanted to be sure and hunt down Maul. Remember, one of these was sent to find and track down Darth Maul, knowing that he was out there and that he was out to get Palpatine as well well so he really wanted to be sure that his position within this emperor empire that he has set up was as safe as possible for sure so that'll do it for our main topic for this week and in regards to our holonet news stories of the week there's only a couple of things really that have come out over the course of this past week Uh, the first was and i had posted this on social media but earlier uh last week uh, i believe it was on tuesday that they had released the uh annual pass holder preview uh dates and allowed for booking of those at walt disney world resort I had already posted that on social media, and those um, I'm, I haven't checked to see if they're all filled up, but I have to believe that they are. They, they yeah. went that day. They were gone by the end of, uh, I think it was around like noon Pacific time, 3 p.m. Eastern time. I think they were pretty much all gone at that point. Yeah, I, that's totally what I would have expected. Um, and so if you know, if you've got one of those coveted spots, congratulations. It's going to be really cool to kind of get to see that land open up down in Orlando. Uh, Tom, I know that there was some news this past week about um, the Star Wars Galaxy's Edge out at the Disneyland Resort in regard to reservations for Ogas and Savis. Yeah, they changed their uh, procedure for that. Uh, up to this point, up to recently, earlier uh, last <laughs> week, they had uh, it to where you would, if you want, wanted to uh, uh, go to Ogas or Sabi's, you would basically sign on to the website or onto the Disneyland app at 7 a.m. That, sm- that morning or anytime after that on the same day. And you could see if what was available and book it that way. And that would assure that you would be able to uh, get into Star Wars Galaxy's Edge by having one of those reservations. Well, they've recently changed that to right now it's at 14 days in advance. You can make a reservation if you're planning on going. And eventually they didn't give us a date exactly when it's going to completely change but eventually that's going to move to a traditional 60 day reservation window which is kind of what they have right now for uh, most of their restaurants that require reservations and some of their like um, reservation required uh, events uh, essentially so uh, so it's kind of a way that if you're planning on going to Disneyland you would kind of know in advance uh, that I'm going to be able to get in Star Wars Galaxy's Edge this day if you've booked that reservation that far in advance. 
Yeah, I'm certainly looking forward to being able to take advantage of that for our trip out there in September. And uh, looking forward to checking out Star Wars Galaxy's Edge out there with you guys. So it's going to be a good time. Um, Really, the only other piece of Star Wars news that I wanted to bring up was that it was uh, noted earlier last week that uh, The Mandalorian, which is the live-action series uh, that is going to be coming out with Disney Plus streaming service in November, is uh, has started the process of scoring their episodes. John Favreau had actually released a, a sketch that Dave Filoni had apparently done. It looks like IG, uh, I think IG 11 is the one that they're going to have within the Mandalorian. Um, so it's kind of a fun doodle, uh, and it's exciting to hear that they've got that coming online. Um, it just kind of reminds me how close we're getting to Disney Plus being available and, and all that new exciting con- Star Wars content that they're going to have out there for us. Right. We're less than a month now till uh, D23 Expo 20. 20- 19 and we're going to get a lot more about the Mandalorian there and possibly other uh, Star Wars movies and television shows and whatever else they have uh, coming on the forefront so I'm very very excited to check that all out. Yeah and uh, certainly if you're interested in the Star Wars news that's going to be coming out of D23 or if you're a Disney fan and you're interested to hear anything that's coming out of D23 uh, I know Tom and his wife Michelle have uh, tickets to be attending this year and and I believe they're going to be doing a lot of coverage for that on their Hyperion Adventures podcast. So, Tom, if you want to go ahead and give folks uh, information on how they can find your podcast, we'll make sure that uh, we send them your way and they can get all the information fresh off the off the presses from you guys. I appreciate that, Rob. Uh, yeah, you can find us with the Hyperion Adventures podcast. We talk Star Wars, we talk Marvel, we talk mostly Disney and Disney parks and tips for your vacation. Uh, we did, as Rob mentioned earlier, we just wrapped up uh, our our next episode of our Star Wars Remembered series where we're looking back at all the films in chronological order from how they would have uh, evolved within the Star Wars universe. We just did Rogue One. We're just a few weeks away. We're going to break into the original trilogy and get to episode four, A New Hope, and we're excited for that. And if you want to find us, the best place to find us is HyperionAdventuresPodcast.com. That's our own website. We're also on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, iHeartMedia, and if you want to follow us socially, we're very active on social media. You can find us on Twitter at Hyperion Podcast, Facebook, Instagram, and Pinterest at Hyperion Adventures Podcast. Terrific. And uh, certainly anyone who wants to get a hold of us to talk anything Star Wars related, uh, you can certainly do so. Uh, if you want to get a hold of us via email, it's at jtapodcast at gmail.com. And then on social media, we can be found on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest at JTA Podcast. Uh, I would say on social media, our most active spot would certainly be Twitter. Uh, so if you want to talk Star Wars, hit us up out there. We're always looking to have that conversation. And uh, that's going to wrap it up for us for this week. Hopefully you guys all have an amazing week. Thank you, and may the Force be with you. 